We're going to read uh, this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. So please uh, follow along with me as I, as I read. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let's pray as we dive into the text this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for how your word just proclaims to us good news, uh, God, that can bring us into a saving relationship with you through Jesus Christ. But God, we also thank you for the way that your word equips us and the way that it changes our hearts, uh, Lord. It, it shows us how to live in a way that brings you honor that is worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And so, God, we pray that this morning that you would uh, equip us, Lord, that you would use your word powerfully in our hearts, all for your glory, we pray. Amen. Um, well, hey, very excited to uh, learn from what God is going to teach us here. And it's interesting how, as we look at this passage, Paul spends an awful lot of time talking about himself. He talks about himself. Now, in, in Thessalonica, if you're not familiar with some of the background, Paul was only there for a very short time, three weeks, maybe at the earliest, to a, a month, maybe two months at the longest before he was run out of town. And, and while he was away, there were many people that were speaking poorly about Paul. They were trying to discredit Paul and his mis- ministry in the eyes of the Thessalonians. And so Paul is writing to defend himself. He's, he's writing to uh, help remind the Thessalonians of what is true, even though there's false rumors being spread about him. But in this passage, my hope is for us this morning is that we will see an example of ministry that we should imitate. This isn't just something, hey, that's kind of nice FYI. Paul gives us kind of some insight into his relationship with the Thessalonians. I really am convinced that God has put Paul's example of his ministry to this church in Thessalonica for our instruction and for our benefit and for our example. We need examples to follow. I don't know if uh, many of you have enjoyed seeing the Houston Rockets go so far in the playoffs this season. Maybe some of you just start watching basketball and the NBA in the playoffs like, like I do. That seems like that's actually when 
the players play is in the in the playoffs. But I, I think that that many of us who've been watching the Rockets games have been uh, uh, painfully acquainted with a guy named Stephen Curry. Uh, if you haven't known about him, he's the MVP of the year. And as I've been watching this uh, this this playoffs, uh, Stephen Curry is uh, unique in the fact that his dad, Del Curry, also played in the NBA. And I'm just thinking about, you know, and they've been telling a lot of the backstory uh, along the way. And you see that, that Stephen Curry is really learning, even as a young child, from the example of his father. You know, many, many young kids, when they're, you know, uh, playing basketball uh, early on, they've, they've only got their friends to learn from. Right, and so you, you go out onto the blacktop at recess, and you're playing basketball out there, and you're you're looking at people and learning from people that are very much at the same place that that you are. And I can remember my third and fourth grade days where I thought highly of myself and my basketball skills, only to realize that I had very little basketball skills at all. Right, and uh, and and I and I was looking at you know other students as an example for me to follow. But Stephen Curry, he had the the great privilege of being able to actually live in the same house with an NBA player, right? And to learn from his example, and I'm, and I'm sure that they were out there doing drills together, and every time that, that Stephen Curry, you know, maybe thought highly of himself when he was in fourth grade, he, he looked at the example of his dad, and he said, I've still got a long way to go, right? And he's followed that example, and he's even exceeded the example of his dad where this year he was the most valuable player in the National Basketball Association, and I, I, I was thinking about that as I've been watching this, and I was thinking about this passage, that I, I think that same dynamic can go on in the church, right? That we, we can look around at, at, ev- at everyone else around us as our, as our peers, and we can become very satisfied with ourselves very quickly. We can think, well, actually, I'm, I'm kind of above average compared to most of my peers. I'm, I'm doing very well. I'm, I'm, I'm okay, Right, and then we look at the Bible, right, and we look at examples, right, like the Apostle Paul's here, the example of Jesus Christ Himself, right, and and it's humbling to look at their example, right. As I've studied this passage this week, I've been greatly humbled, right. It's very easy for me to start thinking highly of myself, and as I look at the example of the Apostle Paul, uh, I've got to I've got to admit I've got a long way to go and a long way. To grow, right? We see, we see this concept in, in Scripture, right? If you looked at Hebrews 13, 7, you'd see uh, the author of Hebrews write, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul says himself in Philippians 3, 17, you can jot that reference down. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example of that you have in us, right? Paul, like earlier on in Philippians 3, he's, he's not saying, hey, I've arrived. I'm there, I'm there yet. But he said, follow me as I, as I follow Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what the Thessalonians were doing. We see, if you were to look at the, the rest of this chapter, we would see that, that they had been following his example. They've been following the example of Jesus Christ in the way that they suffered, in the way that they received the word with joy, even in affliction, But I I really think that this example has been provided for us, and Paul encourages those that he's writing to, and I think us as well, to be followers and imitators of his example of ministry. Paul talks about himself, right? And we we get certain insights onto his own 
you know, relationship with the Lord. But primarily in this passage, he focuses on the way that he lives for the Lord, the way that he serves the Lord, and particularly the way that he had done that in Thessalonica. Now, don't don't let the fact that Paul was an apostle throw you off. Don't let this say, hey, well, that was great for him as an apostle, but for me as just a normal person here in Montgomery County, this isn't for me. I, I think it is, right? All of us are called to be ministers, right? Some of us do that full-time, but we are all servants of the Lord. We are all working for the advancement of his kingdom, whether we're a lawyer or a pastor or a mom or whatever position God has put us in. We're all, we're all here to serve. We're all here to serve the Lord. And so what we're going to see this morning, if you've got a note sheet, you'll see that we're going to see seven aspects of Paul's ministry here to the Thessalonians. And I, and I hope that this will prove a helpful challenge to us, maybe a helpful encouragement in many areas, but will give us an example uh, to imitate. And when we talk about ministry, we're not just talking about a specific ministry in the church. Like I, you know, do children's ministry and I'm there every fifth Sunday and I teach a lesson. We're, we're talking about it, I think, a little bit more broadly here that really we could say that in summary, it's uh, helping others to come to know Jesus Christ through the gospel and helping those who know Jesus Christ to grow more to be like him, right? It's, kind of what we say here at, at Lakeside Bible Church. And this is much more than just going and coming here on a Sunday morning. So let's look at Paul's example and learn from it together. So the first point that we'll see is in verses 1 and 2. And we'll look at this ministry, when it serves. Paul writes, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. For though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Please turn over just to Acts chapter 16 for, uh, for just a moment. I'd like us to see uh, some of the context here. Because uh, what is Paul talking about when he said we had suffered and been shamefully treated at, at Philippi? In Acts 16, starting in verse 16, we start to see this account of, of Paul casting out uh, a demon from uh, a slave girl who was telling fortunes. And in verse 19, after this happens, it says, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates, the leaders of Philippi themselves, tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Stocks being that uncomfortable aspect of the innermost part, the darkest cells in the prison. This is what's happened just before Paul comes to the Thessalonian church. And if you remember the story, you know that in, in the night, the jailer is converted and there's you know a great miracle that there's an earthquake and the doors shake and the jailer's about to kill himself. And then Paul, they actually lead this jailer to the Lord. It says in verse 35, though, when it was day, the magistrate sent the police saying, let those men 
go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the, of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. All right, and we see in Acts 17 that then they, they go kind of two towns over, and they come to Thessalonica. Now, if you were in Paul's shoes, right, you had just been unlawfully beaten with rods where they had inflicted many bro- blows. You had been thrown unlawfully into prison, right? You could have even escaped, but you didn't. And now you come to Thessalonica. Thessalonica being this key city in Macedonia, kind of the capital of that region, right on this coastal inlet, a beautiful, beautiful place. What would you be thinking about doing? Right? I think you'd probably be thinking about some R and R, some rest and relaxation, some recuperation. I'm just going to check into a nice bed and breakfast here in Thessalonica, lick my wounds a little bit, maybe kind of like have some sweet devos by the sea and, and kind of hang out for a little bit. I, I, that would probably be what, what my heart would want to do, right? I need a break, right? Did you see what just happened? Did you see how I was just beat up and thrown in, thrown in jail? Like, I, I, I need to take a few weeks off. I need to recuperate from this, or, or maybe I need to, to work a little bit or, or whatever, right? But it says in chapter 17, verse 2, and Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Right? That Paul, he's just been shamefully mistreated, as he says. If you go back to First Thessalonians, we had suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. The Thessalonians are aware of this, but yet they had boldness in their God to declare to them the gospel. There was no ministry off-season for Paul. He didn't say, hey, well, you know, when, I, when, I, when I'm in Philippi, things didn't go so well, so I'm just going to take a little break. Maybe I'll actually go back to Jerusalem and, and spend time there with the church, right? Even at a time when, when everyone would have said, hey, that, that's totally appropriate. Take, take some time, rest, recuperate. No one would have thought less of him if he had done that, but it, he didn't, right? For, for Paul, Serving the Lord and ministering for the Lord, it was what he did. It was who he was. It wasn't something that he, he flipped a switch and he was on, and then he flipped a switch and, and, and it was off. It was, it was on all the time. The Apostle Paul was, was full-time for the Lord, and, and that's something for us to, to think about that. Do, do we have times or seasons in our lives where we say, hey, a ministry is now just going to take a back seat? In my life, Ser- serving the Lord, helping others to come to know the Lord, helping others to grow in their walk with the Lord. I'm just too busy for that, right? Or, or it's, it's, it's inconvenient right now for me to do that. So I'm just going to sit back and relax. I'm just going to hang out here. I'm just going to spend time at, at Lakeside, right? Do we minister only when it's convenient, right? I think many people, they kind of think, hey, attending a church is what God wants me to do, and actually serving Christ in the lives of people, well, that's, that's optional. 
that's something for maybe the super Christians or those who have had theological training. No, it's, it's really for, for all of us. It's really for, for all of us. The Thessalonians, they had only had like three weeks to a month or, 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 or maybe just a little bit more of theological training from Paul. They'd only heard a few sermons, and they were serving the Lord. The, the gospel was ringing out from them. And I think in, in our culture, sadly, we have made serving the Lord optional for Christians. Say, hey, well, if you want to, serve, serve the Lord. But, it, but if you don't, that, that's okay. I don't think that's the example that we see from Paul, or, we, or we've made it very inconvenient to serve the Lord. We're so, we're so busy. Right? We've got so many activities. Right? We've got so many other things going on in our life that actually thinking about sharing the gospel with an unbeliever or, or helping another believer grow in their walk with the Lord, encouraging them, admonishing them, exhorting them, that, that's just, we're too busy for that. We've got, we've got no time for that. With all of my family obligations and my extended family, I've really got no, no time to, to serve the Lord. Or, you know, for students that I minister, oh, I've just got a lot of homework right now, right? There are going to be seasons where homework is, is intense, right? But that doesn't mean that God doesn't have opportunities for us still, even then, to serve him in the lives of other people at that, at that point. Right now, we're not saying that, hey, you've got to be going to every single thing that Lakeside offers for you to think that you're, you're doing ministry, right? There might be times and seasons where the type of ministry that you do in the life of the church might, might fluctuate and adjust, but, but really, we're all full-time for the Lord. And, and, and Paul says that he was doing this, he was declaring that not only had like, he been shamefully treated and suffered before he even got there, but while he's declaring the gospel of God, there is much conflict going on in the city of Thessalonica. That this wasn't, hey, an easy stint of ministry in the life of Paul. This was difficult, right? He was thrown out. There were people seeking to harm him, people seeking maybe even to kill him. Things weren't going well. He was experiencing hostility, pushback. But even then, Paul says, hey, I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do, what he has called me to do, right? I am full-time for the Lord. That is what, what Paul said. There's no, there's no off-season. There's no, there's no time to take a break. It's, it's full-time for the Lord. And this, this is a challenging example for, for all of us to, to think about. I mean, think about in your life, if, you, if you're a Christian, if you claim to, to know and serve the Lord, when was the last time you intentionally tried to share the gospel with an unbeliever? I mean, that, that right there convicts many of us. It, can, it convicts me, right? That, that per, perhaps have our lives become too busy that we have time to share the gospel with those who are going to perish eternally without the gospel? Have we become too busy for that? And when, when was the last time that you spent intentional time with another believer with the heart to help them grow? Right? These, these are things that God wants to be happening all the time in the life of a believer. Not, hey, when I went on that one mission trip three years ago, I got to share the gospel with someone else. But for the last three years, I've just been too busy. We, we might need to take a look at our life and see, hey, have we, have we created a system of life that pushes serving the Lord to the fringes of our life? That it's like, okay, well, when I get around to that, when I, when I make time for that someday, maybe when my kids are graduated and out of the house, 
as Tim Kemright rejoiced in, right, this, this morning. Uh, maybe at that point I'll get to serve the Lord. No, at whatever point God, God has us in, he wants us to serve him, right? Just like the Apostle Paul, beaten up, shamefully treated. What's my custom? I'm going to go and I'm going to tell people about Jesus Christ. Right? This is a challenging example for us to follow. The first thing we see is when it serves, right? It's all the time. There's no, there's no off season, right? There, there might be fluctuations here and there, but all, all the time we're here to serve our king. Jesus Christ. The second thing that we're going to see is at the end of verse 2 is what this ministry proclaims. What does it put forward? He says, even though we had suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul's ministry focused on the gospel. Paul's number one priority was to tell people the good news of what God had accomplished through the the life and death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. He wanted to tell people of the hope that was offered to them in the person of Jesus Christ. And and we've got to see that this was Paul's number one priority. This was the thing that he valued the most. If you were to look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and two, Paul talking about his time in the city of Corinth. He says, And when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that doesn't mean that that was the only thing that Paul talked about with those in Corinth, but it definitely was the most important thing that Paul highlighted that he went, went back to. Right? It was his goal, is what he led with, it was what he circled back to, what he what he followed up with, the gospel, the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Turn over, if you're in First Corinthians, turn over to just chapter fifteen, verses three and five, three through five. He says, For I delivered to you, I declared to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Right? You see how, how Paul describes it here? It's, it's first importance. It doesn't mean that the only thing that Paul ever talks about is the message of the gospel, but it's the most important thing. It's the center. It's, it's the apex. It's what he's aiming at all the time. The gospel, the gospel for the unsaved and for the saved. Right? If you think about it, Ephesians, right? We, we love Ephesians chapter 2. How many of you just savor Ephesians chapter 2 on a regular basis, right? We were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive in Christ Jesus, not as a result of works so that no one may boast, but it's a gift, right? That, that just glorious passage. Who, who's he writing to there? He's writing to people that he spent years with, right? Paul spent about three years in Ephesus with the people there. And when he writes to them later on in his life, what is it that he wants to remind them of? It's the gospel. It's what Jesus Christ has accomplished for them. If you were to turn over to Titus chapter 3, in verses 3 and 4, you'd see Paul say, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and then he adds many more things on, but he says, but when the, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Right? Paul with the church that he had spent years with. Paul with one of his protégés in Titus. He, he's even, you know, a personal letter, you know, reminding them of, hey, us, the two of us, right? We were like this, but God saved us, not by works done by us in our righteousness, but because of his mercy, right? Paul had a gospel emphasis everywhere in his ministry. It wasn't that he said, hey, let me tell you the gospel, and then you get saved, and I, and I never remind you about what Jesus Christ has done. I never bring that, that up again. We're on to, you know, section 201 and 301 and 401, that the gospel was woven throughout all that Paul did. It had preeminence. The theme of the gospel was rarely, if ever, absent from Paul's ministry. And as we think about our, our ministry uh, to, to others, we, we've got to realize that the, that the gospel is different than just hoping to have someone have accountability with someone else. Accountability is a great and awesome thing, but not the gospel, right? Or, or it's even different than like, hey, just start reading the Bible. Get on a Bible reading plan or inviting them to church or you know, helping them to know some of the historical background of a given passage. All of those things are great, but if they exist without a clear preeminence of a focus on Jesus Christ, his person and his work and our joy that we have of being in Jesus Christ, right, it's going to fall. It's going to fall short. We are in a sad state if we have lost our awe of the gospel. Right? When we sing songs like we sing, like we, the songs that we sing are gospel-rich songs. Right? I, I love the, the, the body of, of songs that have been written that help remind us about Jesus Christ. When we sang that last song, it is well, right? My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Did, did that affect you, or was that just kind of like, man, I've sung this so many times, it's getting old to me. Right? Paul, the gospel, never got old, right? Paul was never losing his excitement for Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ had done. He was constantly reminding himself of it. He was constantly reminding his friends of it. He was constantly reminding churches of it. And he was constantly proclaiming it to people who had never fully understood it before. The gospel was central in Paul's ministry. It was what he Proclaim. Now, that was, I mean, even as we look, if you were to look at the rest of Thessalonians, we see, hey, just the simple message of the gospel was not the only thing that Paul said to them, right? He instructed them in many different areas, but yet what he says, what he declares his ministry was about was the gospel of God, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. That was what he was most excited about, and that was what he realized people really needed the most was the gospel. You know, let's think about let's think about what we can get excited about and, and think that people need things that are that are good things but should never eclipse our excitement for the gospel and its prominence in our lives, our speech, our ministry. Apologetics are not the gospel, right? Apologetics are, are great, right? If we if we're helping someone to understand that there is a creator, that this world did not come about by random chance mutations over billions and billions of years, and here we are all, and look at the complexity of it, and poof, it just kind of came about. Like, let's help people to understand that, but let's do that in the context of the gospel, 
Right? Let's not just get into a debate with people about this issue and, and, and have them miss the main thing by, without which they cannot come to faith in Jesus Christ. They cannot have eternal life. Right? You can convince someone of creationism and they can still go to hell and perish forever right? without the good news of the gospel. Right? Are we most excited about conservative politics? Right, That can be our, our lead-off hitter and what we circle back to and what we want to talk about and post about on social media all the time. Right, That can be the flag that we wave the most. Or, or some of us, we, we need to think, hey, are, are our preferences what really people will get from us? Is that what we're declaring to people, whether it's a, a schooling choice or a dietary choice? Right? What do, what do people get from us? Do they see that we're most excited about the gospel? that the gospel is the central focus of our lives, of our ministry, that we are constantly rejoicing and we will be forever rejoicing in the lamb that was slain for us. We're never going to lose the gospel, my friends. The gospel will only get sweeter and richer and deeper when we actually see the Lord and we see his holiness and his perfection and all of our all of our ugliness and all of our sin is exposed and brought into the light and we see just how much we deserve his full punishment for our sins the gospel will be magnified jesus christ and him standing in the gap taking that wrath that we deserved upon himself will be magnified it's going to be forever now and forever we're going to be rejoicing in the gospel, the flag that he waved the highest, the clearest, and the proudest was the gospel. As you think about your life, is that what people would say about you? Man, that person is all about the gospel. They are all about praising God for the work of Jesus Christ that he has accomplished in their lives and telling other people about it. Is that what we're known for? That's what Paul declared, and, and this was personal for Paul. This wasn't just some you know, theological information that he had received somewhere down the line. Paul, Paul can't help but speak of the good news of Jesus Christ because he met Jesus Christ on the road right, to Damascus. He met him, and he was saved by Jesus Christ, even out of his righteousness that he thought, hey, I was doing everything right. I was acceptable to God. God had mercy upon Paul and saved him. And, and if you're a Christian, if you're serving the Lord, that same thing is true of you. And that's where ministry should really spring from. That's our next point, point number three, where it springs from, what it springs from. If we're going to have this all-the-time all ministry that's focused on the gospel and we're, we're focused on proclaiming it, where's that going to well up from in our lives? Where is that going to spring from? He says in verse 3, For our appeal, our gospel appeal, does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Now, in those days, and, and what some of the people after Paul had left were accusing him of, is there would be people that would kind of come into town, and they would work the, the circuit, as it were, and they would come into town, and they would bring some exciting message and try to draw a crowd together and, and gather a following, but they did that just for their own personal gain. They, they, did it for, they did it for money. They did it for, you know, sex. They did it for any, any number of things that was all focused on 
themselves. And Paul is combating that. He's helping to remind the Thessalonians, hey, that, that's not us. That's not where ministry came from in, in our lives. It wasn't from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. We weren't trying to trick you so that we could get something from you. But where does it come from? Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Right? There, there are some who, who may even speak the gospel, but they, but they do it for the wrong reasons. Right? They do it out of wrong motivations. Maybe it's just out of obligation. Well, I don't want to do this. I don't care about this, but I, I'm told that I'm supposed to do this, so here, here I go. Or, or from self-motivation, that I, I want people to think a certain way about me. Or, or some even do it from the motivation of money, that if I'm bringing this good news to people, they will pay me, and they will pay me handsomely. There are some churches that that is absolutely the case. But Paul says, where, where, where does this spring from? Where does our appeal where does our appeal spring from? It springs from the fact that we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for just a moment, right? Lest we, lest we think that, that this is just something for Paul, that, hey, he was made an apostle, he was given a special ministry, and absolutely he was, right? Each and every one of us, right, each and every Christian has been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Read with me in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 where Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us, plural, all of us, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the, ministry, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we, plural, all of us, are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Right? That Paul says, hey, wh- where our appeal springs from, really the motivation, what's causing this ministry to flow and well up and progress into your lives, it's the fact that we've been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. Right? That God put his stamp of approval on me. That's an amazing fact, my friends, that God would approve of a sinner like me, who was a rebel, who, who hated God's name, who, who, who didn't necessarily want anything to, to do with him. That's, that's all of us, right? The fact that God would make us acceptable, that he would approve of us, that took the miracle of him sending his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that I have not lived and to die to take God's wrath for my sin upon himself right have you have you thought about that 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 god has a if you're a christian god has put his stamp of approval on you not not because you deserve to be approved by god you you did not deserve that but because of jesus christ that he has made you acceptable before the lord he has taken the guilt of your sin away and now you've been entrusted with that good news that you've enjoyed you've been entrusted to share that with others, right? This glorious message that we've been given, that we've been saved, that's got to be the motivation for the ministry that we do in the lives of people. That, that's going to be a, a motivation that lasts. I, I, if you, I don't know if you know this, 
But ministry is hard, right? Serve, serving the Lord is not by any means easy. It, it does not go well most of the time. If you look at Paul's missionary journeys, right, you, you see ultimately that God is at work and at work powerfully. But Paul's just getting beat up left and right. He's getting falsely accused. He's getting thrown in jail multiple times. He's getting treated unjustly. He's being left for dead, right? It's, it's not going, it's not easy. It's not going well. Right? Beatings, persecution, proclaiming Christ did Paul much harm. It wasn't, it wasn't easy. Now about, I don't know about you, but maybe you're at that spot in ministry where you have been serving the Lord faithfully and well, but, but you're weary. You're, you're burnt out. You're, your springs have run dry, right? And there are many springs for ministry that run dry very, very quickly that are very shallow pools from which to draw strength to serve the Lord even when it's dry, right? Many people, they serve the Lord so that they'll feel good about themselves, Right, so that they can say, so that they can have some some level of confidence in their own mind before the Lord. Well, well, look what I'm doing. I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm and I'm doing this. That that will not sustain you in ministry for the long run when it get, gets hard, because no amount of good works that you do are going to be able to assuage the guilt of your sin against the Lord. Right. If we do it for notoriety, if we do it to make other people think well of us, you won't be thought well of. Paul was not thought well of most of the places that he, that he went. But, but if, if we really realize that God has brought us from death to life, from the darkness into, into the light through his Son, Jesus Christ, if that is our great joy, if that is our hope, then that will lead us to serve the Lord and to speak, even, even when it's hard, even when we're shamefully treated. Well, friends, if, if we think that we've just brought, been brought from a dimmer light into a brighter light, that's going to be a short fuse for the gospel, right? There's not going to be much to draw from there. If the work of Christ is small, that I was, I was mostly good, and God just gave me a little bit of a nudge through Jesus Christ, we're not, we're not going to be awed by what he's done for us so and so speak about it to, to others, right? If, if our love for others isn't springing from the greatness of the love that we've been shown in Jesus Christ, that's a shallow pool to draw from. If our forgiveness and patience with other people isn't springing from the greatness of God's forgiveness and his patience with us, there's not much spring there, for ministry, if our joy in ministry doesn't spring from the greatness of this message that we've been entrusted with, this good news, we're probably not going to serve the Lord. And that's what was the, the spring where it, where it came from. Let's see next, point number four. What does it seek after? If that's what it came from, where was it, where was it going? He says, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. This ministry that Paul said, it, it, we speak to please God, not, not to please man. Because honestly, if, if pleasing men is our motivation in ministry, we won't be faithful to the gospel. Right, because to please man, uh, not many people that I've met think highly of you when you tell them that they are hopelessly lost in their sin and that there's nothing that they can do to get out of it apart from appealing 
to Jesus Christ for salvation. It's not a, it's not a positive message in the eyes of most people. Right? It's a condemning message. It's a degrading message. It's an intolerant message in our culture today. Right? If we, if we want to make others happy, make them like us, we, we won't serve the Lord honestly and faithfully. We'll serve the Lord in a shadowy way, in a, in a self-deceptive way, right? Or he, Paul says, we didn't come with a pretext for greed, right? We didn't come to flatter people, to just butter them up. We're not going with greedy pretexts of just, hey, I'm, I'm in this for what I can get from other people, nor do we seek glory from people, right? All of those things, Paul says, that, that's not what we were about. We spoke to please Right? That was our motivation, is that I want to please this one who has saved me and who has adopted me into his family. Now, we're, we're not talking about pleasing him in the sense that, hey, uh, now that I'm doing this for the Lord, now he's pleased with me, I'm accepted and approved. No, no God has already accepted us through through Jesus Christ. But just like an adopted child, right, who, who lives and wants to please their parents who have adopted them, it doesn't make them their child, but it's out of the outflow of what the parents have done in adopting them and inviting them into their home and into their family, right, to please God who, who tests our hearts. And, and let me tell you, friends, that sharing the gospel, helping other people grow in Christ pleases God. Right? That's our aim, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. We make it our aim to be pleasing to him, and serving the Lord pleases him. It brings God great joy. It brings great richness to our relationship with the Lord. It, great, it brings great joy as we serve the one who saved us. So in your ministry, maybe you're, you're, you're serving the Lord. You're doing a lot for the Lord, but why, why are you doing it? What are you seeking after? Are you seeking glory from people, some attaboys, right? Are you frustrated that all the parents of those no-good kids that, you know, you have in the, you know, kindergarten class or, or whatever are just unruly and they're, they're never thankful, right? Is that, is that why you do it? Is it, is it just to be glorified by people or is it to please the Lord? And so I, I don't necessarily care what anybody else thinks, but I, I want to please my Savior. I want to please my, my King, right? Fourth point is what it seeks, is it seeks to please the Lord. Fifth point, you guys still hanging with me? Let's, let's talk a little bit more. What heart goes with it? Point number five, verses seven and eight. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had been very dear to us. Rather than making demands as an apostle of Christ, Paul went in there and he was gentle. The word that it actually uses there in Greek could be translated infants, right? Nobody's looking at my two sons, Miles and Oliver, and thinking those guys are very respectable and uh, of high stature, right? No, they're, they're infants, right? They're, they're lowly, right? That was the same way that Paul came, that there was a lowly tenderness to Paul's ministry, Right? It, was, it was gentle. There's, there's this affection that, that we're seeking to give rather than to get. A, a nursing mother with her own child, uh, that child is not getting up and then giving her a back rub, right? Do, doing chores, uh, taking out the garbage yet, right? All, all of those things, right? It, 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 you know, the, the mother isn't doing it for, for what she's going to get in return. Oh, maybe someday this kid will take out the trash and get a job and, you know, all this stuff. No, it, I love them, right? because there's this, this affection for them, 
right? And there's, there's this tendency in the church today to make ministry an event, right? To make it very, very formal, right? That we, we come here on Sunday mornings and we, we do what we do and then we, we go. And, or maybe we even go to other events that we have at Lakeside, right? Maybe something for the men or the, the ladies or, or maybe even a, a, a grow group. But it's got to be more than just an event to us. It's got to be more than something that we just show up at and we say, all right, boom, I was, I was there. Way to go. Right? It's got to be more than that. And it can't just be formal, right? It can't, it can't only be just, hey, formal instruction and formal teaching and formal counseling, right? We, if we're here and it's all about the formal, that would keep us very much on the surface in our, in our relationships with one another. And when someone asks you, how it's going today, you, you reply with, good, right? How many times have you said good already uh, this morning? Hi, how are you doing? How you, how you been? Good, right? Or, or maybe, maybe right, you, you've chosen to go with AI better than I deserve, right? You know, that's, that's one that is, is so true, right? But, but there, there can be this formality and this event kind of mentality that we get about the way that we are with each other, that's, that's so different from the example of Paul. Paul isn't saying, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to have this, this gospel-sharing event at the synagogue on Saturdays. See you next Saturday. No, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't it, right? Because they had become very dear to them. Verse 8, that, that Paul was affectionately desirous of them. Let me ask you, is that the way you, you think about other people at Lakeside? Is, hey, I'm just in the same room with these people. They're all, they're all right. Or, or is this they're, they're this desire to be together, this affection for one another? Now, now obviously, the, 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 Paul says that, hey, we wanted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you, you have become very dear to us. Now, we're not saying like, hey, let's just have relationship without instruction or relationship without God's word really driving everything that, that we do. But God's word as it's preached should go from this place far and deep into our lives because we're getting together, because we're, we're so desirous of being together that we can't help but talk about what we're thinking through and how God is using it in our lives day after day and, and week after week as we are together, not just here on Sunday mornings, but, but much more with that. Let me ask you, do, do you have people that you're sharing your life with? Right, that have become dear to you here at Lakeside. And so you not only want to talk about God's word, but, but you also just want to share your life with them. You want to share your own, your own selves because they had become very dear to you, right? That we're, we're in each other's homes. And it's not just a formal meeting, but we're just talking about the real things of life. There's intentionality to it. As we come in here on, on a Sunday morning, we're thinking even during that half an hour in between equipping hour and the main service, how can I spur someone on? How can I encourage someone? Right, we've got grow groups here, here at Lakeside that we try to facilitate this. We try to provide some sort of forum so that we'll, we'll be knit together in our lives, that we'll, we'll know each other, that we'll be able to really truly encourage each other and admonish each other and, and even rebuke each other when necessary and care for one another when, when, when life is, is challenging. I, I want to ask you are, are you are you involved in the lives of other people 
at, at Lakeside? Are you, are you in a grow group? Or maybe if you're not, are you so connected in the lives and hearts of other people that, that anybody who would look at you would be like, well, that person doesn't need to be in a grow group, right? Because they're, they're just so connected with, with other people. They're so intentional. They're, they're, they're so affectionate with, the, with this other group of people that they're sharing life with and, and talking about the Lord together. This example of Paul's ministry, it goes way beyond what happens formally when we gather on Sunday mornings, right? It, it, it extends to the far reaches of our, of our lives, right? We, we've got to get to the spot, can, can we just say this, where men can talk about real things on the golf course? Some of you men just scoffed at that, right? And if you did, realize that, hey, we've got an example of ministry that Paul's saying, hey, you become very dear to us. That's not the way real, real men talk, but it's the way that godly men talk. Right, men whose example we we need to imitate together. Point number six is what it requires. Look at verses nine and ten. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Right? This ministry that, that Paul did, it was it was hard work. Right? This, if we're going to have this kind of ministry, if we're going to follow Paul's example, it is going to require us to work hard. Ministry is not a plug-and-play, easily obtained. It's something that is going to, to happen at the result of effort that's expended. And look at, look at the effort to which Paul went. Right, he, He's an apostle. Right, It is absolutely right that he should get his living by the gospel that he is proclaiming. He has, he has said that, but, but he says... we. We wouldn't want to be a burden to you. So we, you know, our labor and toil, we worked night and day. And Paul said, hey, I'm willing to go support myself, right? We know Paul's uh, profession was tent making. And uh, lest we think that, you know, in our modern day of tents, that it's just all those poles that magically kind of come together and we slip through those little slots. We're talking about working with, with leather. We're talking about work that was very hands-on, uh, you know, very menial. It wasn't like there was a lot of glory in intent making, but Paul said, hey, I'm willing to do anything. Right? I'm going to preach the gospel all day and then work all night making tents if I have to because I love these people and I want them to know Jesus Christ. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to sacrifice for these people. I think about Paul and his time here in Thessalonica, and I'm not thinking that Paul had a lot of time for hobbies. You guys see any, any hobby room in this in this passage, you know, he says, I'm going to work. I'm going to work day and night so that I can make the gospel known, right? Often we say, well, I don't, I don't know if I have time for ministry. Paul, Paul could have said, like, hey, I, I've got no time. I'm, I'm spending all day. I need a night off every now and then. No, he said, I'm going to work. I'm going to work all the time. Think about it. In our lives, our are there so many things going on? Are we, are we pursuing so many hobbies that we don't have time to serve the Lord? It's going to take work. It's going to take maybe even us giving up something that's not bad, right? Something that, that's totally fine for, for us to do because we're motivated by serving the Lord, right? And then he says in verse 11 or verse 10, you are witnesses how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers, successful ministry is going to take a lot of work, just me pursuing the Lord and, and growing in holiness, 
right, that I've got to take the time each and every day to sit before the Lord and, and worship him and, and turn away from sin and, and be instructed from God's word on how he wants me to live, how he wants me to serve. Right? Paul says, remember our conduct. Remember how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct. That wasn't something that, that Paul just woke up one day and decided to do. It was the fruit of many hours of pursuing the Lord, of being in his word, of being in prayer, of, of applying the instruction from God's word that he had received. Min- ministry is going to take effort, right? Getting together with another family at Lakeside is going to take effort. It's, it's going to be work at, at times, right? Growing in godliness is not something that happens magically, right? It's something that God works in and through us but causes us to put forth effort to pursue the Lord. Right? Both of these things, right, for a successful ministry, we're going to have to be willing to, to work hard. Are, is that what we, friends, are, are willing to do? Are we willing to work hard for the cause of Christ, maybe even to sacrifice some things that we don't necessarily have to sacrifice. Paul could have said, hey, hey, give, give me some money, right? Pay, pay for me while I'm here, right? That's right for you to do. He could have said that, but he said, no, I, I don't want to be a burden. I want the gospel to be clear. Right? Are, are we willing to work hard to serve the Lord? And the last thing that we'll see from verses 11 and 12 is what it urges. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Right now, now, some of us, right, when we heard about Paul describing his ministry in motherly terms, affectionate terms, right, some of you excel at that, right? Some of you, uh, you know, your gentleness, your affection is known to all, right? Many people have said of you, aren't you just the sweetest thing, right? Like, because you just ooze relationship, and you ooze grace, and you're so gentle and kind with other people. But Paul shows both sides of ministry, right? That, hey, there's this gentleness, but there's also a a fatherly aspect to ministry. And Paul did both, that it wasn't just relationship so much at the cost of like, no, we actually instructed you and we actually exhorted you and urged you to walk in a manner worthy of, of God. Now, now, some of us, right, we've got no problem telling other people what they should and should not do, right? That comes very naturally to us. It's a gift, right, in our, in our lives. I'll tell you what you're doing wrong and how you need to change, right? Uh, but we lack that tenderness, we lack that affection. We lack that, that gentleness, that compassion, that, 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 that being very affectionately desirous of one another. But there's others of us that we've got the relationship stuff down so much that, that we never actually urge someone to walk in the way that God wants them to. Right? There, there's things that are uncomfortable that, that we're just going to be kind and gentle and never speak to. We're just going to gently sweep that under a rug. And, and never never ad- address it, right? And there's, there's always room for, for patience and long-suffering, but Paul didn't let sin go unaddressed in the lives of the Thessalonians, right? He says, we, we exhorted you. That's that, you know, I, I'm putting my arm around you and, and saying, hey, come on, let's, let's walk in this manner worthy of, of the gospel of God to, together, right? He says, we, 
encouraged you that we saw that some of you you're in this pagan city and you've just become a christian and it's hard and you want you want to do what's right and you're you're struggling in that or or we see that hey god's grace is manifesting itself in your life and we're saying hey keep keep going we're saying hey look look to christ look to christ for your strength to obey him today right encourage but then he also says that we charged you to walk in a manner that that's a term that's got some zip to it it's got some intensity to it, right? That there, there should be points with people in your life where you bring a little bit of that charging. That you're saying, hey, you need to do this. It's not the, hey, well, if you want to, or hey, you know, try. You know, it's the, hey, you gotta turn away from this in your life, this sin, right? The, the way that you're living in this area of your life is not in accordance with God and the gospel and all that, all that He's done for you. How, how, how can you receive so much for the Lord and then, and then live for yourself, right? That you're not living for Him, you're living for, for you in this area, right? There's got to be this charging, this exhorting, this encouraging to walk in a manner worthy uh, of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. And, and can we just say that that's a pretty high calling, right? To walk worthy of God is something that each and every one of us will not perfectly achieve in this life. The person who walked worthy of God was Jesus Christ. Right? And so let's just remember that, that Paul was urging them to something that he himself said he had not yet attained. Right? He wasn't satisfied with, hey, you're drug-free, and, and you're married, and you seem like you've got kids that are getting decent grades and turning out okay. Check, you're done. That's as far as we need to go with you or or hey you believe the right information you 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 do this right check you're done right calling people to walk in the manner of this extremely high calling that God has offered to us in the gospel that's something we're going to spend our entire lives no one's done right no one's done no one has arrived at hey right now I am fully walking in a manner worthy of God who calls me into his own kingdom and glory I I can't say that perfectly I can't say that that's the direction of my life and that is what God's grace is accomplishing in my life, but I, I still have so far to go. Are, are there people in your life that you're like, hey, they're, they're pretty good. They, they don't need much, right? We, we all need this, right? We all need to be urged to walk in this manner more and more, to be transformed more and more into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. None of us are, none of us are done, right? So even if you've got, maybe you're a grow group leader and you've got that one family that everything just seems to be okay with, they, they still need to be urged. They still need to be exhorted. They still need to be encouraged. We've all got room to grow. So in, in conclusion, I, I hope that, friends, looking at this example of ministry is, is very challenging to, to me and and God has shown me many areas where I need to grow and excel still more. And I, I want to encourage you at Lakeside that I'm very thankful for the way I see so many at Lakeside living their lives to serve the king and living their lives for his glory. And, and their focus is the gospel. But my encouragement to you is, is to, to think about this. As we've seen Paul's example, am I, are you, are we imitating that example? Are we like Paul? 
in this? Or, or are there areas where maybe we need to grow and we need to, we need to change that we need to talk about with other people and we need to be praying about, God, help us in this area together. God, we can tell people what they need to do right and left, but we're not very gentle. God, God would, you, would you grow us in that? Would you help us to see the tenderness that you showed to us in Christ, your affection for us so that would motivate us to, to live our lives to serve you? And friends, let's, let's just remember that all of this is because God has called us into his own kingdom and glory. Right? As, as we think about this, this should not be a chore list to us. This should be God has, has called me into his kingdom that I actually get to serve the greatest kingdom of all time, the only one who, that will endure forever. I get to serve the king of kings. I get to make him known and see him graciously transform people's lives and mold and shape them through the church and through his word and through his spirit. I get to be a part of that? That's joy. I hope that's your joy. I hope that when you look at your life, when you think about your week, when you think about your, your future, that serving Jesus Christ, ministering for him, that's what you're like, that's what I want to do. Right? I'm, I'm still, I still might do something else as my paid profession, right, that, that pays the bills, but really, if, whether I'm a lawyer or a doctor or a, in construction or in the home, I'm full-time for Jesus Christ. I live to serve him. I live to make him known. Let's pray. God, as we have come to your word this morning, Lord, I, I know I've been humbled, God, just at, uh, Lord, this high example, Lord, and I, I know that, that even Paul's example, God, is, is not the ultimate standard, God, that your example in Jesus Christ was even so much more perfect and exemplary than Paul. But God, I thank you that, that we can see that this is what your grace is able to accomplish in our lives, that Paul was a sinner just like us. But yet, God, through your grace and through the good news of the gospel that you brought so powerfully into his life, God, that you transformed him. You made him new. You made him your ambassador and your servant. And God, you used him in such great ways. And, and God, I pray that you would just give us a greater excitement to be used by you for your kingdom and for your glory, God. May we have great joy in serving you. And, and God, as we, as we look not just at, at the other people, Lord, ar- around us, God, as we look um, at an example uh, to follow, uh, God, I pray that you would humble us, Lord. I pray that that this time in your word would lead to great change for your glory in our lives, God, and that we would all eagerly seek serving you full time because you are worthy, Lord, and you have given us such a great message in the gospel to proclaim. And so it's by your grace that we pray and we ask for your help to do this. It's in your name. Amen.